0: You're like so f-ing gay. Hello, all of you sexual deviants and sexual deviant wannabes. What's up? My name is Aaron and my name is Matt. No, just kidding. Matt's not here tonight. Uh, hi, everyone. How are we? This is Aaron. This is Queering the Air. Uh, it is a weekly podcast where we talk about gay shit. Um, <laughs> yes. Normally I have a co-host his name is Matt but he is a second year law student who is dying with finals. So um and also like I was really swamped this week and our schedules just really didn't line up very well. So the intro is just going to be me tonight which is probably a good thing because the episodes already very very long. Uh so I will keep it brief, I will keep it short. It'll be succinct and and which is good because the episode will speak for itself. This is a fantastic episode. Uh, Really quickly first, thank you to our monthly supporters. Uh, If you're interested in becoming a monthly supporter, you can do so on the Anchor FM platform. Thank you to Michael, Emily, Brett, and Mara. Uh, We adore you, and you keep the podcast going. I mean, you all keep the podcast going, but thank you so much for financially supporting us each month. We really, really appreciate it. It's been a hell of a fucking week, let me tell you. I need a vacation, I think. I also really need a week where I can just like disconnect from my phone like i would love to have a few days where i just like turn my phone off turn my computer off don't really do anything i want to go on like a 10 hour hike one day i think so if anybody listening wants to do that with me let me know um (laughs) anyway in the episode today we are joined by owen pearson a good friend of mine from la uh who recently relocated to hawaii i do want to apologize up front for uh the episode's quality my memory card corrupted, which is so cute. So my audio file uh, is gone. So thank goodness we actually remembered to record our backup Zoom call this episode. Thank goodness. It actually, we we, we used it. Um, and on top of that, Owen recently moved to Hawaii. So um, the Wi-Fi is not the most amazing so we were battling a lot of technical difficulties with this episode. But you know what's still incredible? The content. Owen talks about so much. Um, we cover his experience being Asian American, kind of how he found himself through traveling and how he found himself through Instagram, um, how he came into his queerness and his sexuality and his Asianness. And everything. It was a really, really awesome conversation. And I really hope you all enjoy the episode. Make sure to give Owen some love. All of the links and everything will be in the description of this episode. I don't have any music of the week this week because I've literally only been listening to the same old stuff. Literally, Photo ID by Remy Wolf and Dominic Fike. Fick? Ficky? That's the only thing that I've been listening to. That is gonna be the song of the summer. You heard it here first. Actually, you probably maybe already know the song, but check it out. It's a banger. Yeah, and I think that's it. I hope you'll enjoy the episode. If you do, remember to like, comment, subscribe, uh, and share it with a friend. We will talk to you again next week. Until then, if you have any comments, questions, concerns, please slide into the DMs. You know the deal. All right. Enjoy the episode. Bye-bye-bye. today.
1: Hi, Aaron. Hi, Matt. I'm great. <laughs> Thanks for asking.
0: Hey, hey. <laughs> you seem hey. to be glowing and thriving and tan and your skin is so, like, hydrated. and.
2: Were you going to say moist? What's up? I was going to say <laughs> moist and then
0: I was like, that's not, like, I was going to say
1: moisturized. I mean, it's been a long week. Moist, it's a weird word, but I would take that compliment this time around just because... You know, I moved to Hawaii uh, less than a week ago. I'm drinking lots of water. I'm getting all the sun. So I feel very, I feel moist in <laughs> the best way that word can be. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> oh, I'm feeling
0: moist today. <laughs>
2: um, Owen, thanks for joining us today. Um, I think first and foremost, we would love it if you could just tell us who you are in
1: your own words. Yeah. Um, so my name is Owen Pearson. My pronouns are he, him. Uh, I'm 29 years old, I am a Hapa, meaning I'm half Asian, half American, white, whatever you want to call it. Um, My mom is Japanese, my dad is white, I'm the oldest of three boys, I grew up in Northern Virginia, so East Coast, born and raised, and I moved out to LA actually now five years ago to pursue the creative life journey of being my own boss as a photographer, as Back then, influencer was so different, so I guess I was really just trying to, like, make something of myself, if you will. So, um, now I do social media full-time, and I moved to, uh, Hawaii a week ago from L.A.
2: (laughs) Holy shit. (laughs) What?
1: Yeah. (laughs) How did that happen? Um, How did that come about? It's crazy. Um, So, I grew up in a really intensive environment. I grew up in a church that was not accepting of the gay community or the LGBTQI space in general. Um, And that's part of Asian culture. Uh, We don't, there's, if you don't, I I talked about this on another podcast, but Japan, I'm half Japanese. So, Japan actually legally announced that they don't accept uh, the LGBTQ space and don't recognize them to get married or anything like that on top of all that. Um, And that's just been really embedded in Asian culture and history for so long that um, it was very normal for me as as a kid to think, you know, I didn't come out of the closet till I was like 23. I didn't come out to myself till I was like 22. You know, I'm 29. So it took me a long time to face those demons of like self-hate and loathing because of my upbringing in the church and also being Asian. Um, So I kind of had to grow up really fast, if that makes sense. You know, if you're gay, you kind of get it. Like, I didn't really trust anyone. I didn't really talk to people about myself and my feelings. I just made up a whole story of, yeah, I like Becky. I like Caitlin. Or, yeah, you know, I started some drama about like liking girls in middle school and high school just so that people would focus on that versus my identity crisis. Um, So being really independent from a young age, I homeschooled myself after a freshman year of high school, literally just found a program online and graduate early. Yeah, um, there's a program I was like oh in Illinois. Um, but, That's but so impressive. Thank you. Yeah, it was, it was not, it's not as impressive as it sounds. Like, I definitely had moments where I was like, hmm, I never took chemistry because I don't need to in this program, so I don't know anything about chemistry. But I was able to graduate early, I did community college. It's
2: okay, I took it twice and I don't know anything about it.
1: <laughs> cool, we're on the same page. <laughs> um, so yeah, like, I just kind of did that and then I, because I, at 16, 17, I had this freedom to not go to school. I got a part-time job. I started exploring the East Coast. I would take mega bus tickets back then to were like a dollar sometimes for a weekend. So I would go to New York City by myself. I would make new friends. So you were still in phone. Virginia at this point? Yes, I was still in Virginia, but I had friends in my church community that lived in New York or New Jersey. So I would visit them um, and just kind of like build this life. And then I started posting on Instagram random photos and moments um and fast forward to my undergrad in college i got my degree in psychology and education minor in my minor um excuse me i just burped (laughs) um and i really loved traveling from a young age Uh, i just because you know being from northern virginia i just kind of always saw the world as like my oyster of like oh my god one day i'll go here one day i'll do this one day i'll be able to travel the world and that was always something really cool for me because I just felt so isolated and alone in Virginia. Um, there was like no one who looked, there was not many Asian Americans in my school in general that I connected to or that, you know, I even felt a, sl- a slight inkling that, oh, maybe they're also gay, you know, like that I could bond with them. Uh, I was always just, it was very, and we can talk about this later in the podcast for sure. Like my first gay experiences were like when I was 19 and I started exploring on Grinder and, you know, chat roulette and all these things. that Chat we roulette. roulette. <laughs> Yes, triggered. I'm sorry. The chaos. (laughs) Just like really just exploring my sexuality at a young age, but very much alone. So it just felt very like dirty and negative connotations. And I didn't like that part of me for so long. So traveling and photography kind of gave me a new light in life. So I went to Ecuador for my last semester in undergrad. I had like enough credits and stuff that I could just do that and in Ecuador I became like the group photographer like I just took pictures and everyone liked them so I kind of felt validated through that and it was really exciting so I'd post those photos and then I started noticing that there were hashtags back then on Instagram that were like kind of communities and I said oh this is kind of cool so I would like look into the algorithm look into the marketing of how people got reposted on bigger photography pages and bigger things in general on Instagram and I kind of studied that on my own and like made friends online, you know, th- you just comment and like on people's posts back then, and people were actually friendly and want- responded back. Like, what a concept. <laughs> um, so after that, like, I got reposted on feature pages and stuff with my photography, and long story boring, I saw that most of the photos that people were reposting got featured were from California. So I took a big risk when I was, like, 22, 23, and to save a lot of money I left and granted like even though I felt alone back in Virginia and isolated like I had a really strong community and people I knew I was a youth pastor for six years I was a ABA therapist working with kids on the special needs spectrum for four years I was one of the main church leaders in my community Uh, a lot of people were looking to me and I was very much in charge of a lot of programs and things happening back home but it wasn't making me happy it wasn't making me fulfilled because I couldn't be myself because Back of my mind, I'm like, oh, I'm gay. They don't actually want this part of me to exist. So I took it upon myself to, like, save my money. No job prospects lined up. And I moved cross-country with my Mazda 3 car. Rest in peace, RIP. Um, And then drove cross-country. And I went to... For a month, I traveled around around the country and, like, went to all these spots I made a list of that I saw on Instagram that I wanted to go to. And I built that... um, that portfolio of work and i my following grew even more from that and then when i got to california la i started collaborating with other photographers and models and people and just kept growing from that mm-hmm. yeah wow so instagram really that's awesome instagram changed my life it's 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 true like i made i've made my best friends and the, the worst <laughs> enemies i've made the most connections because of instagram that's incredible
0: and I feel that, I mean, that, that was YouTube for me when I was younger, that was yeah. what kind of exposed me to like that whole mm. different world and being yourself and all these crazy concepts that we were told yeah. we couldn't do when we were younger.
1: And I loved YouTube, YouTube was actually something, I always loved YouTube, I was like, I wanna be a YouTuber, but it's just so much more editing and work and like Instagram is just more inst- instant. But I always, I followed all the YouTubers that, you know, eventually came out of the closet and I was like, oh, Maybe that's why I was so, so Makes sense. To them. <laughs> makes yeah. sense why I've I have kept, kept watching, watching their connection.
0: videos. <laughs> yeah. They're
1: like we just we just feel connected. I don't know why. And mm-hmm. you're like, ah, oh, makes sense. And now it all makes sense. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Hmm. That's so why. Okay. I mean, I mean, just going back to the beginning. So, you,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you grew up in mm-hmm. Northern Virginia, which is very white and very conservative, right? yes
1: yes very much so
2: okay oh and you're a little bit delayed for me oh, really? so I'm if sorry. i'm a little bit quiet i it's not because i'm not interested it's <laughs> just i don't want to i don't want
1: to you can be on it you you can be on <laughs> i just don't want to
0: interrupt any flow <laughs> the zoom has to send all the from hawaii to new york yeah,
1: yeah. It's, we're in three time differences guys this is wild that's a lot yeah
0: it is it's yeah what time is it for you,
1: Owen? Uh, it's 3.20 p.m. So you're six hours out. Oh, ahead.
2: wow. Okay. I, for some but, reason, I was thinking that you were... I was thinking nine because I was like, oh no, Aaron is six hours behind me, but I was thinking it's a six-hour flight from New York to California.
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah, because... you Look, <laughs> like I'm not in math school, yes, okay? Math. We all very really much... We probably all excelled so much in school. It's, show, it's showing, Yeah. <laughs>
0: I mean, clearly you did if you graduated school early, and then you also were able to finish school early, like gra- like undergrad and go to Ecuador.
1: <laughs> I guess so, touche, yeah. I mean, I was always academically driven because that's a big part of being Asian as well. Um, you know, the only way to really make your parents proud or to succeed was to get all A's. Like, if I remember sometimes I would get like a B plus on a final or an exam, and my mom would be like do better next time, or, like, wow. Like, she would, like, literally, like, make me feel so bad, but, like, I understood it. Just being Asian American, you really have to prove yourself because white supremacy is so real, and I felt it from such a young age because my mom and dad would really... Even my dad, like, my parents would try so hard for me to feel accepted and fit in because they probably knew that I was different because of the color of my skin, because of, um the way me and my brothers looked compared to the majority of uh, Northern Virginia. And they love me. They love my brothers, but they are worried sometimes, you know, parents worry about their kids. So they really, especially my mom would always push this narrative of, you know, don't speak up, you know, really fit in, try your best to just become the best so people can actually accept you. So I really put a lot of my value in myself in my, in my results of what I did. You know, that was really just a big part of my upbringing and who I am as a person. Even, like, being an influencer in this, I feel like a lot of it was driven by this need to prove myself to the world, because if I don't have a voice or if I don't do really well in what I'm doing, like, I don't matter. I don't have have any say in anything.
0: I mean, you do matter regardless, but I do recognize the sentiment. I recognize the sentiment of feeling like you have something to prove. Like, I definitely that's something that I've always kind of struggled with as well. And Mm -hmm. no matter how hard I'm pushing myself, I always am like, you could be doing more. Yeah. And it's this weird, I mean, maybe it's capitalism in America, but (laughs) but I think it's- Maybe. Maybe. I've never really thought about how that is related to queerness, but it definitely, I'm sure it definitely ties in together. And even when you said yeah. earlier the bit about you know finding that validation and taking the photos of your friends in Ecuador, it's like I've never connected that mm-hmm. I find that validation too in being a photographer. Of like people are like, yeah. oh, love that, yeah,
1: right? So you, you're, I, I, you're, I, I, this I, I, is like yeah. a therapy session for me. <laughs> well, I'm well, I'm glad. I mean, I'm I'm going I'm going to grad school to eventually become a therapist. Like that's one of my main goals. I want to be. I want to have credentials in what i'm talking about because i'm a mental health advocate first and foremost that's what i that's what i focus on um and there's not much representation in the mental health space for queer asian americans and i want there to i want to be one of those people that can actually have the one-on-one conversations with people that need help and support because i know for me that was something i really was missing as a kid and even as a young adult and i see the value in having it now like my therapist is Hoppe. he's half jewish half japanese and I just feel so immensely connected to him and supported by him, in a professional in a professional validating way that really just has proven to me that that quality effort into loving someone for who they are fully, like you know, it really makes a difference in your whole life. Um, so I I really appreciate therapy and mental health, and I think a lot of Asians are stigmatized also not to believe in therapy because therapy is seen as the devil and you don't spend your own money on asking for help but you don't ask for help so why would you pay someone to help you that doesn't make sense as far as um Mm -hmm. the asian the asian background comes like it doesn't really make it doesn't really happen for a lot of asian americans or asians in general
2: um i do want to ask i'm just curious because i know that you're half japanese and when you talk about like you know i think I would assume that there is probably, um, a very similar experience for a lot of people of, um, Asian descent in this country because, you know, white supremacy kind of views all of those cultures just as one, like Asian, Mm -hmm. you know, there's no nuance to it whatsoever. But Mm -hmm. when you speak, sorry, from a white point of view. yeah. And so when you speak about things in kind of, like, overarching terms, is that, like, and I don't want to say that. I don't want to say that you're speaking in overarching terms. But, like, when you say things like, you know, in the Asian culture, it's very stigmatized to seek help. Is that something that's, like, a uniquely, like, Asian-American experience? Or I don't (laughs) want to, like, I'm not trying to be, like, oh, and you can't speak on behalf of, like, people from Chinese backgrounds and Korean backgrounds or what and, uh, Thai backgrounds or whatever. And like, obviously that's not right, what I'm totally. trying to say at all. I'm just trying to understand kind of like where you're coming from, like when you kind of use like a larger term.
1: No, like I that. appreciate, I appreciate you saying that and it, it helps me dissect what I say better. Cause I, I don't really, I can't speak on behalf of everyone. The way I, the reason I talk like that is because being Asian American is seen as that way of like, we're all just Asian American and being, especially being half Asian, I mm-hmm. always, I feel like I'm always proving myself to other people that I am Asian, because I'm so like ambiguous with my, my ethnicity. People don't know what to say right away when they, and like when I fill out when I fill out forms. There usually isn't mixed or biracial. It's like other or there's only Asian or white to pick mm-hmm. from. Every part of society looks at me and doesn't actually define me as Asian, or def- doesn't define me as what I correctly am. So. That actually applies to a lot of Asian-Americans and Asians, and I only can speak for Asian-Americans because the Asian community as a whole, like therapy and mental health and all that is so not talked about. Like it's even less than Asian-Americans. But the reason I say Asian-Americans is because I have friends that are Filipino, Chinese, Korean, Japanese, mixed race, um, Thai, Taiwan, like I have friends of all races and I connect to them on different levels because of the Asian-American experience and whenever i bring up therapy or i bring up mental health from my experience they're like oh that's that's good for you or oh like i wish i could do that it sounds really expensive or oh like i'll look mm. into like people don't really think about it for themselves like i have if that makes sense so that's why i kind of do an overarching thing just from my past experiences of talking to friends or family about mental health and therapy does that make Got sense it. that makes sense okay
2: Totally. Yeah. I mean, I, I, definitely didn't want it to come across as like, uh, you know, you're, you have Chinese ancestry or sorry, Japanese. Oh my God. No, <laughs> no, I get so it.
1: Embarrassing. We're all, sorry. We're, all lear- we're all, um, learning. that's, we're all learning. Like you guys are both gay white men, you know? So, so, so it's like, it's important to recognize your privilege, but also my privilege. Like I have privilege too, being half and also being Asian American um, in other ways that you guys don't we, and other Asians don't. So it's important to recognize all our privileges and you know, own it. I know that you're
0: not gonna have an answer necessarily to this question, but I think it's interesting hearing mm-hmm. you talk about, you know, mm-hmm. it is taboo in a lot of Asian cultures to talk about therapy. And even hearing you say, you know, sometimes it's people say oh i don't want to spend the money on that because therapy is so fucking expensive and that's my biggest issue with it like therapy should yeah. not be a luxury item in america it should not be hundreds of dollars a week to be able to like yeah receive mental care. um that applies but, to
2: a lot of things just gonna that's that true out there <laughs> yeah. that
0: is well, true
1: we can, have, we, can, we can have a whole episode
0: <laughs> you know a whole podcast
1: yeah
0: <laughs> um but I'm I'm curious where you think it sounds like you think that some of the root of it might be you know, hey, look, it's so expensive. Another root of it might be, it's not really anybody else's burden to bear, but your own, or like maybe it's the opening up. I don't know. Mm. That's kind of what um, I'm getting. Am I am I off? No, there?
1: I. No, it makes. It, and you're very you're on point with a lot of it. Like there's just there's always many factors to any situation but specifically in this topic we're talking about the, because it's been so stigmatized not to talk about it within your own family or your friend friend group um it just to do the work by yourself on your own time to help you with your personal growth yeah that's it does you don't get to a point of self actualization of your of who you are as a person to realize that it is beneficial for you in life um it makes more sense to focus on your career your academics your relationships you know your marriage, your kids it makes more sense to make focus on all those things and actually do self work and self love in mental health interesting yeah, it's just that's just how it's always been yeah i I think because I have the the ba- the balance and biracialness of being white and Japanese, um I have the privilege of being white because when I'm with my white dad, I did get treated better than when I was with my mom and also. In my friend groups, like, I could tell people, you know, have their own perspective of me, if that makes sense. Like, my white friends saw me as, like, the different card. My Asian friends saw me as, like, the, the one that's cooler or whatever you want to call it, quote-unquote, just because, like, I have a little bit of white in me. Like, I saw the privilege of being white in every facet. But for me personally, I never really saw value in being Asian. And I tried so hard to figure out why I wasn't white enough or why I wanted to be more white. And a lot of that applied into my queerness and my sexuality journey of, um, like I applied to be, I, applied, I originally wanted to be a teacher, an elementary school teacher, but my undergrad degree didn't offer, my school didn't offer that direct program until a master's degree. So I decided to go into psychology because I really wanted to understand the behaviors and the perspectives of um, how, you, how people operate especially with being gay like I wanted to understand why I was gay (laughs) because I was like why am I gay if being gay sucks this bad like why am I gay if my church doesn't accept me why am I gay if it's so hard why am I gay like I just had all these questions about being gay and I was like maybe if I get a degree in psychology I'll understand it more and little did I know it just opened up a bigger bag of you know questions and more complications I was like oh my god now I have too many questions and now I can never go back to having a simple life so interesting. I mean, jumping
0: back also quickly, I want to note that I love the idea of having you do both be an influencer and like get your master's degree, because that's something that I've been talking with my friends a lot about recently. This like weird phenomenon that we accept advice so readily from all of these influencers and nobody actually right. knows what they're talking about. Like they're all just normal people trying to figure out life. Like we're accepting diet advice and like exercise advice and none of these people have credentials they're just like this is what i'm doing and we like take it like so i love the idea of having you like further your education and then use your platform to kind of share that i think that's absolutely incredible
1: thank you yeah no it's i just want to have more validity in what i'm saying because i feel the same way like i'm on social media all the time as a consumer I'm listening to the people I follow and sometimes taking it too much for word of mouth versus doing my own research on my own time. So I get it, like I get the way society and social media has portrayed the usage of social media as a a way of like the heartbeat of our society and culture. So, you know, as my following grows, as things change for me, I I want to just really be putting in the work offline as, as much as I do online so that the people that rely on me for any source of like entertainment or fun or a moment of clarity or whatever that it's actually there's actually something backing it up and a purpose behind it versus just making money or sharing a cute photo of myself and my friends like I want there to be more purpose behind it because I feel like life is too fucking short and life is way too valuable just wasted away doing mundane things and um, believing everything people say on social media and applying it to yourself when everyone else is still figuring them themselves out like you said like i really feel like we're all just so lost like figuring that out life and we have we've and like we've really just lost the the human decency to just be kind to each other and respect each other more you know it's just like especially with this pandemic year we've had it's like i feel like people just really don't know how to um love each other and support each other for where we are versus like just assuming and judging that we all have all the answers and we need to be corrected for everything we say and don't say
2: yeah period
1: (laughs) period period
0: (laughs) i wonder i know you've spent a bit of time um you spent time in japan and then you've also you went to taiwan right i did yeah in the same year and i'm curious how because, I mean, I think America is just a very unfortunately individualistic country. Um, mm-hmm. And I know that, you know, Asian culture is more about the community and, like, you know, you you respect your neighbors and you respect strangers and you respect
1: mm-hmm. the
0: city that you live in and things like that. So I would love to hear a little bit about your experience, you know, spending time in Asian cultures and how it kind of differs. And, I mean, honestly, maybe even being in Hawaii, I know you've been there a week, but How is that different from LA like
1: (laughs) no these are great questions um and I hope you and Matt you both need to come to Hawaii one day when it's safer and
0: go to the top of my list
1: (laughs) well you will yes you it's honestly that that there's a reason for that it's so beautiful but in every way not just nature-wise but um yeah so I went to Japan and Taiwan for the first time in 2019 I went to Japan with my family which is really exciting because Me and my family, we grew up, we didn't grow up, you know, we grew up middle, lower class. We had money to survive, but we never really did fancy vacations growing up. Um, Like we went to like the Virginia beach or like to like Ocean City. Like we did like small trips like that, but our focus really was on the church and the church environment we had. So we never really did crazy cool trips abroad or anything. So Japan, Japan was our first time actually going together as a family. And I'm still in, I'm in LA at this time. And my brother Leo and Eugene um, are kind of living at home, but also doing college. So my parents had this idea for my mom and my dad and my youngest brother, Eugene, to go to Japan. And then they asked me and Leo if we wanted to go. And and the the moment they said that, we're like, yeah, hell yes, we want to go. Like, what, are you kidding me? Like, we've been talking about this for so long, but now that we all want (laughs) to go, like, yes, let's go. Because being biracial also, I was like, I always felt like a piece of me was missing, especially being Japanese. I was like, I want to know my Japanese side. Like, I have cousins in Japan I've never met. I have relatives in Japan I've never met. Like, I want to get to know that part of my life. And, like you said, Aaron, like, when Do I went to Japan... you speak Japanese? Uh, I understand a lot. Like, I can comprehend a lot. So, it's kind of like... My mom actually spoke to me as a kid. Yeah, mm-hmm. so... That's another thing, too. Like, me and my brother Leo, we love the Japanese culture so much that we studied it a lot growing up. But, it's different studying it and then, like, living it and, like, being in that country, right? It's just a different feeling. Yeah. So, the moment mm-hmm. I got there, like... I was there, actually, a week before my parents and brothers got there. I went to see my friend in Tokyo... Mm-hmm. And we got to, like, see a bit about uh, the the culture there. Um, I also went to a couple gay... I went to a couple gay bars. I did the whole thing where, like, I experienced gay culture there. And it's super fun. Like, the gay bars there are so fun. Like, <laughs> one of the bars I went to, like, the first thing the bartender opened to, uh, asked me is, like, are you a top or bottom? I was like, oh, my God, where am I? <laughs> but, like, yeah. But it was, like, such a... It was, like, a very funny, like, like a very, like, almost, like, a gay uncle kind of vibe where, he gave me some some snacks like they have snacks they give you for free and then there's like a there's karaoke in almost every asian japanese gay bar in that part of tokyo so we just started singing japanese songs oh and i was like God. and everyone's just like laughing and stuff and everyone's like asking me all these questions in japanese and i'm sort of responding because like i know they're kind of half laughing at me because i'm this new face and they're, they are like the regulars at this bar but it was just so fun to be in that environment and experience that and then on the other hand be more traditional with my family and like get my, to meet my relatives and see the history behind where my mom's from. Like I got to see my grandparents, my grandparents, all my grandparents on both my parents' sides. I never got to meet. They all passed away pretty early on, unfortunately. So I don't really know anything about my parents' history. Um, so I got to meet my, my aunt and then I got to see where my mom and her sister grew up in Japan. And it was really cool and really like, um, opening and like beautiful to see my mom's Like, she lived in the countryside of Saga, so she lived, like, with a bunch of rice fields and just, like, a lot of, like, very humble life where she had to ride her bike a couple miles to get to school. Yeah, it was, like, super peaceful. Like, the internet didn't work out there, so, like, I really couldn't do much. (laughs) I had to, like, just really be present, and that that was perfect for me because that's what I wanted. So, and then one of her best friends from high school, I think, she let us stay at one of her houses because she has two houses, and she owns, like, a giant, like, factory that makes a lot of the ramen and noodles that get imported to all the airports in japan so she has a money oh my but and my mom's like Uh-oh. friends with her I it's like oh so like she took us all to the fancy japanese restaurants and like when i tell you like if you like japanese food specifically sushi or like ramen like you have not tried real sushi and real ramen till you go to japan like holy crap like it oh tastes, i
2: don't doubt it
1: it's so good like i can never have normal like in hawaii actually it's pretty even but like I haven't found yet, even in L.A., like a ramen or sushi spot that hits the same as it does in Japan. It's just so nice, like, and it's, and like no one bothers anyone, like, and when people are sick, they wear a mask. Like that was in twenty nineteen. People people were wearing masks normally in Japan. Like it wasn't like a big deal for me. Yeah. For me, it was a, for me it was kind of a big deal because I didn't I wasn't used to that. You know what I mean? And like there was no pandemic talk, so when I saw people wearing masks. Was like oh, should they even be outside? Like <laughs> what are they doing? But then people were told me, telling me, like, oh, no, that's just, like, a common thing. Like, if you have a common cold or if you're feeling a little under the weather, you wear a mask. Um, because everyone is hustling and going to work, and the Tokyo uh, subway systems are very crowded and very intense. And people are, like, literally shoulder to shoulder, like, huddling next to each other. And then, like, everyone's looking down on their phone, and the phones are quiet. Like, everyone respects everyone and their space as best they can. And there's literally no trash anywhere. Like- so
2: it's kind of like New York City.
1: Yeah, except except not dirty.
2: <laughs> yeah. Sounds, yeah. the only thing, the only similarity, it seems like people, like, right next to each other.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. No, it has has a lot of New York City vibes in it, for sure. Like, just the fast-paced life. At least Tokyo, like Tokyo does. Like, mm-hmm. everywhere else is kind of, like, countryside and more um, homey, suburban life. Mm-hmm. But, no, I really, Japan was really eye-opening, eye-opening and it gave me a lot of clarity in my Japanese heritage and it gave me a lot of pride to be Japanese. Um, So I really appreciated that part of my life more. But again, like, I just, I was still kind of looking for more answers and I wanted to, because, like, I got to experience a little bit of the queer side of being Asian American, but it still felt very, it, it felt very hidden. Like, the gay bars were, like, in this one street in Tokyo and, like, it was kind of, it was kind of dirty in, like, New York City. Like, I did feel a little bit of shame culture being gay, because even with around my relatives and my family, like I'm not used to being my full self, my go- full gay self around them. So I was kind. Of, I had to go back to that suppression period of my life, where it's like, oh, I'm just the older brother. I'm just this person that you know is respectful in myself, even though like being respectful of myself is part of being gay. I just I kind of had to not talk about those things to my family again which was kind mm. of like it was very repressive of life but i was like it is what it is it is what it is okay, cool. okay.
0: so Sorry, be sure. it, like <laughs> the gay scene in japan
1: um mm-hmm. spell. spell so
0: it's <laughs> yeah it was it was like seeing the gay scene exist in japan kind of helpful in validating because it sounds like in america the two didn't really overlap for you until you probably left
1: home yeah i mean because when i left home originally to la right like i actually was i was in a long distance relationship for my first year in la and that's like a boring story because he was not not it but it made me not like explore my dating dating in la for the first year because i was focused on that relationship and after after that breakup happened you know it was really tough for me because um, he cheated on me and it was just like really messy and he was part of my coming out oh, story no. to my to my to my family yeah oh. it was really it, it was really unfortunate it really oh, sucked i'm
2: so sorry
1: yeah um, and it was, it's fine i mean I'm, it's it happened for a reason but it really just tarnished my desire to date and to to find a relationship in la so i really just focused on my career my career after that which is fine but like it's an understandable
0: reaction
1: yeah yeah exactly and it's like even in LA um on the dating apps like I did have a couple great dates and a couple like relationships that are like a month or two but like um I just I kept getting people especially like on just the dating apps but I kept getting people being like oh you're so exotic oh you're so different um like and it Ew, just, it I always, don't understand how people still yeah. say that. It was like, How am I exotic? I'm a, it's like it was just really uncomfortable and uncomfy to get those comments. <laughs> You're like, all the I'm time. from Virginia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Literally Yeah. There's nothing exotic about Virginia. Mm-hmm. So that just made me turned off by the dating scene in general. Like especially growing up very religious, like I do still hold some of those values and standards very true to who I am as a person, like minus the politics and hate and bigotry <laughs> but a lot of the values in my ch- my church upbringing are still things I really care about you know like I but because of the LA culture like I kind of fell into the trap of like you know just having one night stands and just doing flings and ghosting people because people ghosted me so I was very much in that in that culture of dating in LA because I felt like no one was, everyone was playing games so I didn't want to try to find someone serious again because it just hurt so much so, Thanks to that one. yes, <laughs> single ladies. Anyway, um, I, sorry, I don't want to assume that you're single.
0: <laughs> I'm very single. Um,
1: got it. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's, it's better self growth. Anyway, in Japan, uh, like the dating scene, it was fun. Like, I I noticed a lot of people's profiles because a lot of people use Tinder in Japan and Grinder, so in, a lot of people's profiles Whoa. were like. Yeah, a lot of people's profiles were kind of, like, blank or photos of, like, food or nature. And that's because it's very not okay to be gay in Japan. So, for their own safety, a lot of Japanese men don't show their face on dating profiles. But me, being out and gay or whatever, like, I didn't care, so I showed my face. And a lot of people did hit me up, and it was really funny. I mean, did you just get
2: blown up with messages? Mm-
1: so many messages Matt like it's kind of it was a lot it was very like flattering. It was like I never felt I never felt more wanted or desired until I was in Japan. I never oh my
2: gosh.
1: I, I never felt as sexy or as like you know as manly or as you know me and far as, as far as my sexuality until I went to Japan because I never got to experience it in my relationships or in LA and I was like well, th- I was like this is what I've been missing. this is the feeling I wanted and I I knew I had, but like I didn't I didn't get a reciprocated or I didn't feel validated in my early dating dating life and you know exploration. So that was really exciting, but it was very short-lived because you know I was only in LA for so many I mean I was only in Japan for so many days because I spent most of it um, getting to know my heritage and my family. So fast forward after Japan, that was in August of twenty nineteen in September... Wait,
2: before you go on, oh, I have a question. Yeah, yeah. Please. Did yes, you... Please did you... Were you, like, openly gay with your extended family who lives in Japan? Like, did they know that you're gay um, when you were there?
1: They they follow me on social media, so I'm sure they know. It just, it never was talked about.
0: Oh, it's like, don't ask, don't tell.
1: Pretty we're much, yeah. yeah. So, it, and it was... So, it was just, like, you know, it was, it was there, but, like, it was like, oh, oh and how's dating, or... Oh, Owen, oh, like do you have a boyfriend? You know, that would never that was never brought up. Right.
0: Okay. That makes sense.
1: Yeah. Japan was really eye-opening and it just made me like really want to you know, take my dating life, but take myself more seriously. So, it just kind of like gave me a little bit more hope into the dating scene. Um and then after that, uh, one of the agencies that gave me yeah, one of the agencies that give me a lot of different jobs throughout the year, specifically like LA events and stuff. Um, they gave me a connection to, um, someone who works for the LA times and they're like, Hey Owen, like, cause a lot of the times the gigs in this industry, like you they don't pay the best, but and that's another thing, like getting paid in this industry. So it's not what people think of being an influencer is like, it's not as, it's not as gratifying and, and in the bank like not banking a lot of zeros in my in my bank account because of this job um, unfortunately yet but my-
0: yeah exactly hey, not yet, yeah. not
1: yet. <laughs> I'm, I'm manifesting more baby anyway um they connected me to this guy who works at the la times and they were looking for an influencer to send to taiwan specifically taipei so i got reached out to by la times and they really liked me so they're like we're gonna send you it was all expenses paid um I was not paid to go to Taiwan, but I was everything was covered like, flight, room abroad, food, um, and all. I had, all I had to do was post on social media a couple times. So very very exciting, very very cool opportunity. Um, I was over the I was over the moon. I was like, oh my god, this is what I've always wanted to do. I've always wanted to travel, the world, and I I have in the past, but like to do it completely paid for and to do it for something so important because basically what was happening was, Taipei, Taiwan. Taiwan specifically, Taiwan is one of the best countries in the world. Like they've handled the uh, coronavirus pandemic the best. They've been the most careful. They got to, you know, have the least amount of cases right from the, from the get-go because of their, the way their government handled everything. And also they're the most progressive because, yeah, they're the most progressive because they're the first ones to legalize same-sex marriage in 2019. So uh, that was that's a big deal because in Taiwan and in Asia, they have had pride events in the past. But they were never celebrating, you know, same-sex marriage being legalized. So this is a big deal for the the whole Asian world, continent people, because Taiwan is announcing that they're legalizing same-sex marriage. I was invited to Taiwan by the LA Times. And, you know, as a content creator influencer, like, you kind of try to leverage that, especially because I wasn't making money. So I, like, reached out to different brands and, like, tried to make it a bigger campaign. And just kind of figured out what kind of content I wanted to make, what kind Look of outlets I wanted to make. Uh, that is good I'm
0: problems a,
1: all day. You know, I am, I'm, I don't have a management right now. I might in the future, but I have to be, I have many hats. I have to be the manager, I have to be the stylist. I have to be the photographer. So I have to think so much ahead of the game to make sure that I succeed because I feel like sometimes the world is against me, or that X, Y, Z will happen because it's happened before. So I really have to, I always prepare myself for the worst and the best to make sure every situation is handled. That's yeah, it's a really so,
0: important skill to have. Like, it's hard, but- ex- it's Expecting the everything. unexpected.
1: Yeah, no, I, I agree. It's like, it's so important for any part of life or any field of work you're in. Um, so Taiwan was literally, so that was only a week. And that's why timing for me is so important because even though Taiwan was only a week, it literally felt like a year and it felt so life-changing In that week, and even to this day, I still like have moments where I look back on it and like, oh my god, that happened. But it's because of it was so close back to Japan, and I'm gonna tell this story because I haven't told it. I only told my close friends this story, but I think it's an important part of being.
2: Oh my god, we're gonna be exclusive. It's an
1: important part of it's important part of being Asian American and just Asian. So in in Japan, in Japan, like I had fun in Japan. Like I talked to guys, right? I think it's important to embrace your sexuality. When I was Hell in Japan, yeah. yeah, when I was in Japan, I met up with they. They use an app called Line, L I N E. It's kind of like their social media. Um, it's like so WhatsApp, I, kind of
0: right.
1: Yeah, it's like WhatsApp exactly. So I matched with someone on Tinder, and then we started talking online. And he was just super sweet. I was like, he he knew pretty. His English was pretty good. My and my Japanese could help him understand my English and his English more. So on one of the last nights in Japan. He, he's an engineer, whatever, he has his own apartment in Tokyo. He was like, hey, do you want to come over um, and, you know, just hang out? And I was like, obviously, you know what that means. And I was, like, I was like, haha, yeah. I mean, I'm like, I was like, yeah, I'm not really doing anything tonight. I was not going to go out, but let's hang out. So I go over to his place, you know, it's like that nighttime walk, 9 p.m. walk. <laughs> you walk over. <laughs> you walk, very familiar. And, you know, we get over there and, like, it's, it's super... Hu- okay, if you ever go to Japan, don't go in August because it's so fucking humid. And I I am, like, just a sweaty mess. So if you sweat a lot, do not go to Japan in the summertime. Go... Go... <laughs> go in any other season because in the summer, it is so humid. But besides the point, um. I went over to his place and we just started talking and, like, he gave me some water and it was just nice to get to know him in person. He... he, He's, like... For a for Japanese man, he was pretty built, like... He was like 5'8", and like he has like he was very sweet demeanor, just very gentle heart. Um, but like he knew he was like he's an engineer, like he he's very confident in his career. And he I think he think was I think he was like thirty six or thirty five, um, so older than me. And then we started talking, and then we started making out, and it was really nice. And as we were making out, you know, clothes started coming off, and it was just like getting it was like getting really hot and juicy. It was like nice. I was like feeling I was feeling his connection, and then. You know, in that moment, like, in in gay culture, like, a lot of people ask, are you top or bottom? And for me, I think that question is so intensified into gay culture in a negative connotation because I personally think you shouldn't limit or label yourself in such a way without fully experiencing everything that your sexuality has to offer you. So... And also just me being like super closeted and not being able to have so many experiences being gay growing up and all this stuff, like I haven't had XY I haven't had so many experiences as much as like other people might have, or I feel like sometimes we say we've done so much, but we actually haven't. So in that moment, in that moment we both didn't we didn't discuss who's top or who's bottom or anything like that. But it got to the point where, you know, both our clothes were off. We're there. And then he looks at me and he's like do you want, he's like, do you want the condom? And I was like, and I thought to him, and he was like, so, so I, I thought to myself, oh, he's assuming I'm the top in that moment. But to be honest, he had a really nice body. Really nice. What kind of
2: podcast do you think this is? All, <laughs> hey, <laughs> you guys
1: are quick. Kiki. Kiki. <laughs> kiki. Anyway, <laughs> it's important. I'm just to, kidding. I, keep going. I know, I know. So in that moment you know I thought to myself like he probably has never ever like been the top with a foreign man or in general like he probably just he's probably been assumed to be the bottom his whole life because of Japanese culture and because mm-hmm. I am the foreigner I am this prized possession quote unquote because I see I, I saw the, I saw the DM I saw not the DMs the, the, the dating profile messages I was getting the grinder taps I was getting like I saw how people saw me. And it made me almost feel like, not going to lie, it made me feel like a white guy in, in LA where it's like you're the white hot guy that everyone wants to have sex with. And it was very <laughs> degrading, but also very, hum- like, exciting. But in that moment, I just had this weird aha moment. I was like, I was like actually, I was like, hey, actually, do you want to top? And I it literally, I can't even express it. Like, his face was so, like, flabbergasted. He was like, what? Like, he literally... Gave me the weirdest, like weirdest look. He's like, oh. he's like, he was like, no one's ever asked me that before. And I was like, what the? I was like, really? Yeah. He's like, he's like, he's like, and then he literally like the thought I had. He's like, literally like no one's ever asked me to top them. And I was like, what the heck? I was like, that's weird. And so we we went to the we went we did everything and like it was really good. <laughs> it was fun, but it just made it made me think like I wonder if a lot of Asian men feel like they can't be something more than what society perceives them as. I I wonder if he's had many other experiences with foreigners or people who don't look like him or his ethnicity and he gets to a point of thinking that his value is this and he doesn't get to express himself in any way. And the sweetest part about this story is after we hooked up, I went in his shower I cleaned off. I come back out t- to get my clothes, and he literally folded my clothes like Marie Kondo on the bed, oh, so nicely. Oh
2: my god!
1: <laughs> no one has ever done that for me. I don't know if anyone's ever done that for you, but this man folded my clothes. Okay, Aaron.
0: <laughs> I had one. I had one hookup in college with uh-huh. someone who slept over, and the next morning. Uh, and i mean it was like a pg hookup but like he slept in my yeah. bed and the next morning I had to wake up and like run to a swim team meeting and i was like oh my god i'm so sorry like you can stay as long as you want or like see yourself out like whatever
1: yeah. and yeah. i came
0: back and he had cl- like made my bed and like cleaned my room up and i was oh, like wait
2: it's like oh my it?
0: god yeah but I, I had the same reaction i was like no one's ever
1: right
0: ever done anything no. like norm most of the time people don't like text you back
1: <laughs> like yeah like had a good time. Thanks. Bye. Talk to you never.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's such yeah, a sweet yeah, exactly. story, and that's that's such a an unfortunate valid point. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. and I'm it's, like, su- do, it,
1: yeah.
0: Do you think relating back to what you were saying earlier, do you think part of the reason he assumed that you were like the, you know, this like dominant man is because you were half white? I or just before so. the, the it more so just the like Americanness.
1: no I think so because I had I looked back at our conversations and he was so fascinated that I was half Japanese half white like he was like oh wow that's so cool or he's like that's why you're so pretty and I was like and you know I'm like oh thanks huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah I can't I can't I can't I can't win I'm no one that's the thing it's true like white people think I'm exotic Japanese people think I'm exotic like I don't fit the bill for either yes I am a unicorn (laughs) so yeah it just it was a really eye-opening experience and I kind of took that with me to Taiwan and was like you know what I'm gonna make Taiwan my bitch I'm gonna have fun with it you know I literally when we went to Taiwan I didn't know what to expect but they gave us like five, the the nicest hotel suites ever. Like, we stay at, like, three different areas in Taiwan, and, like, literally luxury, like, crazy rich Asian status, like, hotels. And, like, I had oh, my, we had our own suites, So, you know, I was yeah, you know I was having I was, like, telling people, like, hey, you want to come to my suite? Like, literally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I was living my best life. I was, like, sexually awakened. I was Exploring my sexuality safely I was making sure that people You know Just I could have fun with them And get to know them And sometimes it was just like a conversation Sometimes it was a PG moment Sometimes it was more But I really just got to explore my sexuality And also just be up with other gaysians. Like for Pride Was one of the biggest opening experiences of my life Like there was over 200,000 people there And they wow. all looked And like The nightlife was insane, like, it's just, it's triggering now because of COVID, but there were literally just thousands and thousands of men just (laughs) roaming the streets of Taiwan and, like, you know, you know how prides are, like, literally wearing Uh, nothing, wearing nothing or everything. (laughs) Yes. Uh And, like, there was no, there was, there was no bystanders being like, ew, or blah, blah, like, it was just, like, mm -hmm. a party for everyone.
2: Wow. What was it, I mean, was there a moment where, because in my experience in this country, um, mm. and I think you've I think you've said that it was kind of the same. I don't know, I might have gotten lost in the technical okay. issues you were having before, but like we don't see like two Asian men together like ever. Like unless you like actively search out the like maybe four movies that you can find on Netflix, four movies. Max. So you mean in movies. Or I'm just saying like in and yeah, in like media and like yeah, sorry. First, I,
0: I thought
2: you no, just meant like, like every American. I was like, no, eh. I no, I see, no, I see oh. Asian people around, like, but like in <laughs> media, you don't get to see uh, like Asian yeah. men romantically and healthily together. I mean, mm-hmm. what was there like a moment ever when you were in Japan or when you were in Taiwan where you were like, oh my god, look at all this Asian love that is fucking awesome to see and is like real and possible and you
0: know and then a follow-up question mm. is do you remember like when you if if and when you've seen like queer asian characters in mainstream media like at all let alone in a relationship
1: no yeah so in taiwan like it was like over like i was like in it was a lot of stimulus in general it was like very like eye-opening and exciting just like i was just in the moment having a good time like Drinking, laughing, taking photos, doing content, and just being present. And like Matt said, like, in America at least, or just in general, like, you don't really see um, Asians together and stuff. But there were so many of Asian couples of all sizes, of all, like, ethnicities just there. Like, because everyone from Asia and the world came to Taiwan, Taipei, Taiwan, to celebrate this pride. So there were other races and ethnicities besides Asian American and Asian there. So it was like, and I have content. And I was supposed to do a YouTube video, but never did because I'm lazy and I hate editing. But <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, should I still upload that? Do people still care? And then I did a poll on Instagram. So I want to. It's just, I feel like maybe now people will care more because of what's happening in the world. But yeah, it just it was really eye-opening and it made me reflect on my relationships because I tend to date either... I've I dated every race, to be honest. Like, I'm not very picky at all or have a type, if you will. But I have leaned more towards mixed or Asian or white guys um, just because those are the guys that would, like, I guess, understand me a little bit better, if that makes sense, or at least have conversations to understand me better and vice versa. Um... And I had to reflect on that because going into like your question Aaron yeah like mainstream media is that's actually been a big goal of mine in general is like I see I, I only see Asians being represented in mainstream media like in the influencer space like there are a lot of Asians in the influencer space that I really respect that you know really do well on YouTube or Instagram or um in general like that I really respect and look up to that but they also are dating and they usually don't date the date Asians like um I remember like looking at the the Asian girl squad on uh, on YouTube like with uh all of them. And, me and, Lauren and
0: Tiffany. Yeah. And
1: Mia. Yeah. And I've seen all of them at different I, I I've run into them or you know don't I don't really know them but I've seen them at events and stuff. So it's like people like that, like it's like they're cool and they're awesome, but like they're not technically in mainstream media just because mainstream media doesn't give influencers that same voice or platform as a, a celebrity does so when you look at celebrities and movies and tv shows they usually do pair asians with like another race or there's just that one token asian in the show and like they get a little bit of screen time but they're either the joke of the show or just the best friend that listens you know and that's actually and that's actually been a goal of mine is i want to tap into mainstream media and i am working on that now i have some connections and friends that are also working into you know being actors or being more bigger voices in mainstream media so i'm actually looking into that too that's something i watched all of america's next step model i love tv shows like you know i know how to i know how to model i know how to do certain things just based on being an influencer and being behind and in front of the camera so long-term goals like i do i i am going to be a face in mainstream media i already know it but i'm very patient okay bitch
2: put that out there
1: (laughs) Yes, I'm very patient, though. Like, I know everything takes time and energy and work, so I'm not like, I need it now or I deserve it now, because that's, like, an arrogant mindset. But I still know my worth, and I know that right now there needs to be more representation. And I'm, I'm in my w- line of work, I call it the Asian Avengers. Like, I'm forming a group of Asian Americans that also want to be influencers or that are influencers or that work in this sphere and I see the potential in them and they want to, and they've somehow dropped into my life and I don't see it as a coincidence. So I really want to keep working with them long-term because we get each other on a deeper level because of all this Asian hate and because of our Asian American experiences.
0: And Asian love. So
1: in Asian love. Yeah. And it's like, we get it. So it's like, I'm just, it's super exciting. And I just love them to death like so much. And it's like, if i get to the top we're all getting to the top like we're all going to rise together and that's what how it should be yeah
2: community building is so beautiful
1: i agree and that's why that's why i saw in taiwan and in japan like there's such a community driven lifestyle there that i don't see in america you know especially in la like it's such a hustle and grind mindset like like even with me and aaron like aaron i consider you one of my good friends in la but we're so busy. We're so busy that the only times we re- yeah, <laughs> exactly, right? It's like the only time we really see each other is at events or work stuff or on social media, but to actually spend time together, it's not a priority in our culture. Um, and that's so unfortunate.
0: Yeah, that was one of the hardest things that I had to like grasp moving to LA is it's like everyone who moved here, moved here because they wanted to focus on something for themselves. Like, that nobody moved here, and it was just, like, such a weird, such a weird change after college and after life, and I'm sure you experienced Mm. that as well. Yeah. So.
2: I've never heard you put it that way, Aaron, but it really makes perfect sense. Yeah, like,
0: everyone is here because they want to be famous, or they want to, like, be around that, or they want to, so it's, like, yeah, it's not about, I don't know, Yeah. (laughs)
1: It just feels like tacky and inauthentic and- It's It's hard to
0: cut through the bullshit.
1: Yeah, it's like, I get it. Like we all deserve to have have our dreams fulfilled and work hard at it, but does it mean we don't get to be human and don't get to enjoy each other's company and actually form relationships and connections that matter beyond this success or this trajectory of fame that we're all looking at? Yeah,
0: that was one of my goals post-pandemic was to actually be better because that affected me so much the first year that I moved here. The like, I wow. thought that I would get, I thought that I was like in a great relationship with somebody or, like friendship. Wow. And then I would go three months without seeing them once. And it it, mm. it really personally affected me a little bit in the beginning. Um, mm. So now, but now, over now that I've like, you know, fallen into like drowning in work and things are going well work-wise, I've fallen into the habit of doing it to other people and I hate it. It's oh, so bad. Where I'm just yeah. like I want to see you, and it's not personal, but I work sixty hours a week.
2: It's not personal. It's drag. <laughs> okay,
0: sorry. <laughs> Enough about <people>. literally.
1: <laughs> no, I love hearing. I love hearing about that, like because you know, I want to. I want to be a better friend to you, and like I appreciated you when you reached out to me when all the Asian hate crimes were happening, and like, but I also felt so drained and drowned when you reached out to me. Like I was like, I don't have time. In my mind, I'm like, I, I had a, a feeling. I was like, I was like. I was like, I'm drowning in like my tears and like the trauma. And like, I'm like, this is too much to handle, but I'll get back to you. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> um, do you think jumping back to earlier, is, is that part of the reason that you moved to Hawaii? Like where you just kind of overhauled that with LA?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's actually super emotional for me, but um... I, the, the pandemic was really hard for me, um, because I feel like LA, we kind of got, got gaslit by the rest of the country, in my opinion, like, we, we were one of the only states in California that, like, gave free testing and availability for tests for COVID, um, only a couple other ones did so in the beginning, and we were, we were one of the first states to shut down, and because of that, like, job I had so many jobs and opportunities lined up like 2020 was like my projected year to make my most money like travel the most like I had so many exciting plans um, and one of my best friends Brian Torada, you know Brian um, he invited me to move in with him in Pasadena um, one week before the pandemic hit but I wasn't sure oh, I was living shit. in San. Diego. I wasn't sure if I wanted to move there because I was like Pasadena is kind of far out. I lived in East Hollywood before and I already had these plans to travel for work. And I was like, oh, the rent is really cheap and I love Brian, I want to get to know, I want to, like, hang out with him more. So I said yes, because, like, I can afford that, it's fine. And then the pandemic hit a week after I moved in and I was like, holy crap, like, what is happening, you know? And, like, and then it was just me and Brian against the world because our other roommates had nine to five jobs that could switch to remote. But me and Brian, like, we had no idea what our jobs would look like anymore or if we would make any money. Like, we had to rely on unemployment, we had to hustle and grind, we ate a lot of edibles and watched a lot of TV shows and drank a lot of alcohol because we were just trying to figure out our lives, you know? And, like, in that time period as well, like, Brian's also Hoppa. He's also gay. So it's, like, me and him, This we have, like, this brotherhood. Like, he truly is one of my best friends and, like, he helped me so much. But then he also was, like, searching for himself, too, and he was so lost and he went through a lot of shit last year, too. And it was just hard for both of us to face everything for me personally like facing the hate of the on the asian community for being blamed for the for the pandemic and then
0: that was so horrible
1: it was horrible i it hurts so it still hurts it makes me so angry but it hurts more than anything because i went to i went to asia you know the year before and i i saw the love they had and i was like this is not okay like they don't deserve to be scapegoated into the blame for this pandemic like that doesn't it just it hit me so much more than I realized. Um, and then after that, like being and then being an influencer in that way, like anytime I would post doing anything outside of my house, I would get people shitting on me, being like, You're not being safe, or you need to do better, or this and this. So like I I then I, so I was like, okay, I, I and you took it anything. seriously.
0: Like you were yeah, you I did. were not like going to parties. I know that you were like I being know. very safe. I,
1: I took it so fucking seriously that the, Cali- the California government sponsored me to do a campaign with them to talk more about it. Like, they, they were watching Whoa. my stories. Like, they paid me. Like, how much safer can I get? Like, what do you want from me? Like, I literally got paid by the California government to, to talk about masks and hand sanitizer, and you still think I'm not being safe? Like, I'm done, you know? It's like, I can't, I can't do this for you anymore. Like, I can't be this, this pedestal influence. Yeah, I can't win. No matter what I do, people are gonna judge me and people are gonna hate on me. And then I'm gonna still see my stories of my friends going out, see people back home doing whatever they want. And then I'm actually doing the work and trying my best and seeing a couple of my friends. Because if I don't see my friends, I'm literally gonna die and just like, just, you know, just figure something else out. Because I'm like, I literally was doing my best and I just, I was like, I don't wanna be an influencer anymore. I literally was like, I don't wanna do this anymore. I was so close to deleting my Instagram. I was like, this fucking is not okay. Like my mental health is deteriorating and I don't want to be on social media anymore. Um, But luckily during the whole pandemic, I got into, in my opinion, the healthiest relationship I've ever been in with an amazing guy and we really connected and he took this pandemic as seriously as I did and He really opened up my eyes to loving myself and appreciating myself and he helped me do that. And I think I helped him as well. Like just, we both just really shared and found each other. Like it was like, it's always the relationships that you find yourselves in that you're not looking for. And he was like just a saving saving light in everything that was happening. And I just, I never felt a deeper love for someone and for myself and him. But unfortunately, even for him, the pandemic was a lot and our, we both have anxiety, like I struggle with anxiety. So I my anxiety and his anxiety kind of kind of showcased themselves differently during the pandemic and we couldn't help each other out with our anxiety and it was a lot of pressure and he wasn't okay. He was someone that has never gone into a grocery store, you know. Like I was okay with going into a grocery store cuz I knew how to be safe. But for him that was too much. And for him like he only saw his roommate and for me like I needed to see my best friends even if it was just at the park. Like I couldn't I was like my I don't have the capacity in my heart to ignore them even if they might be doing things that I don't fully agree with outside of seeing me. Like at least for me I know I can see them safely. But for my ex, like, he didn't appreciate that. And I had to understand where he was coming from. But at the same time, like, I was sacrificing so much in that relationship for for him and for us that it just, it kind of hurt my mental health even more, to be honest. And I think for him as well, I can't speak for him, but yeah, anyway, what, it just kind of built into this space that we, we cared about each other and we wanted to be there for each other, but we both agreed that there wasn't any room to continue a relationship so the pandemic literally brought me my brought me my dream guy and then it took him away from me so um, that was really hard to process because after that I literally fell into a dark hole and like I did things I don't I don't like uh, recommend doing during a pandemic but I did them because I was such in a dark place I was like I don't care anymore like I'm done like I just want to live my life if this you know and I did, and I put in the work again, and I saw my friends, and I really just opened up my world to possibility in life. Yeah, I had to, I was like, I need to put myself first. Like, I put this relationship first, I put the pandemic first, I put my job first, and none of that worked out for me. So all I have left is myself. So that's what I did. I went to, I started going to therapy again, because I didn't do therapy the whole pandemic until the end of the last year. Um, I started working out, I started eating healthier, you know, I did all these things that just, yeah, all good things, and like, and then the New year came around, and like, I just, I was going up and down in my life with everything and emotions, and just one of my best, one of my sister's best friends, um, she, like I said, she's from San Diego, and she has family in, in Hawaii, and they knew that I was going through a lot in life, and they knew that I was struggling with wanting to stay in LA or go somewhere else, so they kind of they these friends of mine they're like all they're like they're like my older sisters and i really really love them to death because they they're the i I am the oldest of three boys i never had sisters but i feel like i've always been someone who connects more with women and girls just because they are more emotionally mature in many ways and they pretty much offered hawaii to me like i didn't ask to go to hawaii i didn't think about hawaii for myself my friends that are filipino that are my chosen family, they are my chosen family, and they really are there for me in everything. And what I love about chosen family is you choose every day to be a part of their life, right? Whereas blood family, like there's no choice, like you're blood related. And sometimes when you're blood related, I feel like there's no need or no push for building on that connection. And I see that all the time in my blood relationships. So with my chosen family, they really they they really got me, they understood me, like they were there for me during my breakup, they were there for me during my thoughts about quitting being an influencer. They were there for me through so much the last few years of being moving to LA. Like they're my escape. Like I would always go to San Francisco or San Diego to escape LA and be with this be with them because they felt like family. And in January they offered Hawaii to me and then like, I was like, Oh, maybe and then a lot of things happened in between that, but the reason I went to Hawaii was to, like, like escape L.A. and everything that made me feel bad about it and have a new life. But then when I moved to L.A., moved to Hawaii last week, the reasons are so different because everything that happened with the Asian community, with um, the mass murderings and all the hate crimes, like, I don't know, I, I'm sure you guys saw, but, like, Instagram used my video when I spoke up about it in their Asian guide on their platform, and that was a that was a big moment it's incredible it was but it was also very intense in the way that um i didn't really realize that i didn't realize that i didn't realize the repercussions and what would actually happen after that but basically because i was basically one of my friends um introduced me to like a clubhouse meeting clubhouse is this new app that you can talk in and stuff um i never used it before but i was on it
2: i don't know anything about
1: it yeah it's, it's kind of like it's kind of like a live podcast like there's like a there's like a topic of discussion and then there's guest speakers and then there's like anyone can plug in that's a clubhouse member and like listen in mm-hmm. so it's, it's really it's really cool it has a lot of good features but i never used it before as like anything i just like heard about it too so i got invited to be on this clubhouse meeting and then i said yes to it because like, yeah sure i want to talk about it because basically what happened before this like I had a couple of my posts go viral talking about the Asian community. Like I did a post saying stop Asian hate. Um, I did another post saying I am Asian American. Being half Asian doesn't make me any less than Asian. So I did a couple and I've done, I've done a lot of advocacy on my on my page in general in my stories and stuff. So I someone noticed that and asked me to be part of this clubhouse. And then I was the last speaker, but the main speaker in the clubhouse, his name is Eric Toda, And I talk about it all the time because he's like a mentor to me and he's so cool. But he's Japanese- American, I think he's also Korean, but he is the global marketing director of uh, Facebook and Instagram, and he Whoa. so he has like this a lot of pull in the social media world, but he also works in media where it's like he has to do a lot of interviews and stuff and even even for him to do a clubhouse meeting, show, showed me that they're not getting as much attention for Asian hate crimes and for stop Asian hate because mass media mainstream media again, is not taking the Asian American community seriously. Just like we are not portrayed in mainstream media, when things happen to our community, people don't think it's a big deal because X, Y, Z, And it's so frustrating. It's so beyond frustrating. Like my my community is getting killed and attacked on the streets and you don't think it's a big deal. Like it's so fucking frustrating. so Eric was the speaker, and then I spoke last, and everyone else kind of spoke from the heart of like the history behind internment camps and the history behind World War II and Pearl Harbor and, the, and Hiroshima and the atomic bombs and just immigration laws and the things that really showcase that there are, there is racism and there is discrimination in the Asian community in America, um, so it's really important history lessons. And then when I spoke, because I don't have any like real facts or knowledge, I'm not very like historian related. You know, all I have are all these people in my, in my DMs and people reposting my stories. that I could feel their heart and like people being like, thank you so much, Owen, for speaking up about this. Thank you so much, Owen, for giving us a, mm-hmm. giving us a platform when no one else is speaking up. And that was really humbling for me because I really didn't feel like I was being this advocate. I just felt like I was talking from the heart. But for so many people to resonate with me on social media, it gave me an, a, an invigoration and a new sense of life and purpose for my platform. And basically, when I spoke, I didn't know if it was working. I was like, Is this audio working? But I just kept talking. And my best friend Yumi was, she was supporting me and she was texting me while I was talking. She's like, Keep going, bitch. Keep it's going. Good. It's, yeah. it's good. Yes. And I was like, Okay, okay. So I kept going. She's like, Keep talking. Because I was like on a, I was like on a rampage. I was like, did it, I was like speaking so much like facts and just like things and like feelings, and I was just so empowered. And then everyone was kind of like, everyone was kind of like quiet, and like I could tell like I left a small impact or whatever you want to call it on everyone. And everyone reached out to me after on Instagram, and they're like, "Thank you so much. Like we're here for you. Like this is bigger than we thought. Like thank you for speaking up." So because of that clubhouse, I was not frustrated. I was like annoyed that. Some of my other friends that wanted to join the clubhouse couldn't because clubhouse is like an exclusive app that you need to join. So right after I spoke in the clubhouse, I got out my phone camera and my ring light and I just talked to the camera and I tried to reiterate everything I just said. And I posted that video on Instagram. And then because of that video, that went viral. And then Instagram, Eric Toda specifically talked to his Instagram team was like, can we put this video in the guide? and after after that oh, happened shit. after that happened my life changed because the guide itself when Instagram reached out to me um, i didn't realize that there would only be me and one other person's face in the guide everything else in that guide is literally like a graphic or like a quote or like a what? mental health ho- yeah and in the late if you look at the guide it says these are the leaders of the movement of stop Asian hate and i'm like the third piece of content in the guide so literally every single person that doesn't believe this is a movement doesn't believe this matters thinks that this doesn't need my this attention literally came for me and sent me the most hateful negative bigotry disgusting comments i've ever seen in my fucking life it was horrible fuck that i've never gotten more hate in my life than that these that last couple days like it was beyond hate. It was literally like, people wanted me dead for talking about this. You oh, oh. Love the NMS. I that means, I was like, that so, means you're so doing wild. something right. Exactly. For <laughs> when when you're, thing, you're pissing
0: them off that badly. <laughs> yeah.
1: Exactly. And I was like, oh my God, like, this is why I was like, this is why we need to speak up. Like, people really don't see this as important. Mm-hmm. But like, even though there was so much negativity, like I wasn't sad for me. I was sad for my Asian American community. I was like, this is what people actually yeah. think of. Like for me to speak up and have a platform to speak up and to get so much hate, like no wonder no one speaks up. You know, no wonder like everyone feels so quiet. And it's like, it made me so mad and so lost. I was like, what do I do? Like, do I post another video? Do, like I, and then that's when my friend Cammy reached out to me and she wanted to do a podcast. And then I'm doing interviews now and other things. Like I'm so grateful that I can. But it's so scary, like, because literally this, this, the day after I, that video went up, I went to Walgreens to, like, get some medicine and, like, just some random stuff. And the cashier was like, oh, you're Owen, thanks for speaking up. And I was like, what? And That's I That's li- fucking wild. Yeah, and I was like, oh, my God, my, I'm like, what am I, and I had a mask on, too, so I'm like, oh, my God. And then, <clears throat> so I just had the other thought, of, and then, and then I went somewhere else to get, I went to the chiropractor... And this white man in his car literally gave me the most evil glare of my life. And I don't know why he did it. Like it was just so evil and so scary. But I had a panic attack in my car. Thank you. <laughs> He's like, I wish I had your skin. Um But I, it was like weird. It was I had a panic attack because it was like, oh my god, what if he what if he saw my video and he wants to hurt me? You know? Like I literally had that thought. Mm-hmm. And it was like it was very it was very overwhelming because if someone positively can respond to me, then someone negatively could respond to me and that really scared me cuz i was like i don't I, I don't want this so hawaii really came at the best time in my life like it really came cuz in hawaii it's the majority of people here are asian and it's just so much more peaceful and chill and one thing i realized is people in hawaii don't experience the racism and discrimination as we do in the mainlands and that's something i'm processing now and don't really know how to talk about yet because meaning I'm that feeling-
0: meaning that the like the outright Hate speech and hate attacks and stuff just don't happen as much on the island. Yes,
1: exactly. They don't have. They don't. Have, they and if there's a hate crime. It's not because you're Asian. It's just because you're a dick. You know. It's not. You know. So
0: I don't know if
2: that's. I don't know if that's a hate crime. Then yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <I know>.
1: yeah. <laughs> so it's like it's just a di- it's just a different world. So yeah. Wild. I know. It's, so it's like I feel so much safer here already, and it's like I feel like I'm protected. I
0: love that
2: for you. Yeah. <laughs> And I hate that that's kind of like a
0: a luxury.
1: Yeah, yeah. I feel, it's it's wild. Yeah, I don't it's a lot.
0: It's weird too to think about how it happens because I mean, if it's happening in LA, I mean, I can I can relate to this in the sense of like being gay. I will never understand mm-hmm. what it's like to be an Asian American or like yeah. be of Asian descent, but like yeah. being a queer person, I was like, I need to gravitate towards a big city. Being, mm-hmm. you know, a queer Asian person, I would imagine you were probably like, get me the fuck out of Virginia. I wanna go to New York. I wanna go to LA. Mm-hmm. Like I wanna be where I'm surrounded by people who are gonna like look like me and act, live like me. So yeah, the fact that this yeah. stuff is happening in LA is like freaky. Right? <laughs> Just,
1: It's a lot, like, I'm so grateful for LA for accepting the queerness in me and the queerness in all of us, but there's still a lot of work to be done as far as, you know, being different and being a black indigenous person of color in this country is still, there's still a lot Mm -hmm. more to be done.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And again, thank you for lending your voice throughout the entire movement and before before the, the attacks last month um, and the murders last month, you've been speaking out forever, and I mean, it's never like I—it's something that I struggle with being a white person. I never know like what to say and what to post. But I always am like, I know I know that I can always like just kind of boost your voice up, and that and know
1: No, that means a lot. Thank you, mm-hmm. no, and thank yeah, you for absolutely. No, thank you both for like using you, this platform to uplift Asian American voices, and you know, for even recognizing that you're white like I think people who say they don't see color like they're the problem like you have to see color (laughs) yes and that means you have to see your own color and see all of it and then not not in a negative way like it's not we're not trying to be like white people suck or this is this this like that's not the story at all like we really just want equality in every sense of that word I really hope that people who listen to this and people who continue advocating or figuring out how to advocate. Really keep asking questions and keep asking for help. And don't put people in me who have these positions of power, or positions of platforms, like, saying like, oh, Owen's got it handled because I don't have it handled. Like, I really want more people to help out. Like, like rep- reposting something I do is great. Reposting something that any resource has or doing giving donations or your time into different spaces like BLM and API organizations that are doing the work every day is so great. But please, please, please do the work in your own life. Like talk to your friends and talk to your connections and utilize your skills and talents to figure out how to amplify this to a bigger place that more people can learn and understand. Like I can't emphasize that enough. It's just, everyone has a platform. Everyone has a voice. And just because it's not on social media or not like a number, a huge number, it doesn't mean that it's gonna, it's not gonna make a difference. You know, so because I've had my influencer platform for over five years, and for the first like three or four years, I felt like it didn't matter how many followers I had, how many likes I had, like no one was really listening. No, it was just like it was all just for show. It was all just for the next pretty thing or the next cool project. Like, but the moment I've stepped into advocacy work really full-time and more intense like it's draining and it's hard but I feel more like myself and more whole in every sense of the word like I have accepted my queer my queerness I've accepted my Asian-ness I've accepted my biracial um, ethnicity I've accepted every part of me and like I'm just really just trying to be a better version of myself every day
2: it's 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 very impressive and it's not An experience that I can I can like fully relate to. Mm -hmm. So like, as much as I want to say like I love that for you and like that is amazing, it's like you know that only is gonna mean so much. So I guess the best that maybe I can say about that is like, I recognize how important that is for you, and I am incredibly happy, and it makes me proud. Well, I mean, I haven't really known you before this I' maybe proud it's not the word but like it makes me really happy to know that like you've found the ways to work on yourself and to make yourself happiest
1: no thank you Matt that means a lot and don't like I know sometimes I get a little preacher I like, I will always be my my I have a lot of youth group kids I took care of like from literally from middle school to graduating high school and I still keep in touch with them and, and they're they're like oh and you're always be a youth pastor it doesn't matter that you're gay or it doesn't matter that you or this and this like they're like you are such like a preacher and you always go deep like they're like we just want to talk about like this tv show and like chill but you, you always spill knowledge and like and, <laughs> and like i'm like, like, like i'm so sorry if i ever talk too much please shut me up like i will shut up and just have fun <laughs>
0: keep doing it it's a gift <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. all right well we love to end this podcast with two quick last questions um mm-hmm. First, if there are any organizations or causes that you want to shout out, I'm sure you have a few Uh Uh that we will definitely be putting in the description of the episode.
1: I mean, the first one I really care about is the Advancing Justice. It's the AAJC organization. Um, They actually were promoted by Facebook and Instagram in the guide, but they work specifically for equitable societies and different ways to build civil rights movements for the Asian-Americans um so they're called advancing justice underscore a a j c and then another one that's really important to me is the Trevor Project because they literally saved mm. my, they saved my life as a kid like i used their chat services all the time when i was in middle school and high school so they really literally they saved my life so um mm. both of, both of those organizations mean a lot to me
0: Awesome! Awesome! We'll make sure
2: to put them in the in the episode description. Thank you, thank you.
1: Yeah.
0: And then, lastly, Owen, what is the gayest thing that you have done this week?
1: (laughs) The gayest thing I've done this week. Um, I made my dating profiles, and let's just say I'm gonna be going on a lot of dates in the next coming months. Fuck yeah! Hell yeah! I'm I'm having a lot of fun in Hawaii. I love it. That's all I'm gonna say.
0: That's, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Matt, what was the gayest thing you did this week?
1: Uh oh, you
2: beat me to it. Um <laughs> It's been a pretty miserable week. It's been pretty miserable end of the semester, to be honest. Um, so there hasn't been a whole lot of much other than sitting at my desk and doing work. But I think the gayest thing I did this week was one of the one of my partner for um, a group project that I'm working on. We were texting about it until like, I don't know, like twelve thirty in the morning on like Tuesday, I think. And I sent him the emoji. He did something. He like he had done a lot of work, so I sent like you know he thank sent the you emoji. He sent the bottom emoji. Oh! But, like, he was <laughs> like oh, but he was like why the sad face? And I was like oh god how do i explain so i had to explain i didn't say like this is the bottom emoji because that would be like a whole i was like just listen to my podcast you know maybe Uh... (laughs) but i i had to then put into straight people words how to explain the bottom emoji Mm. five minutes later I guess his girlfriend took his phone and was like, Hi, I'm Coulter's bi girlfriend. I explained that emoji to <laughs> Get it on the podcast. I know. I was like, Please. Okay, thanks, Queen.
1: <laughs> That's incredible.
2: Yeah. So, yeah, explained the bottom emoji to a straight person. That's pretty gay. Wow. God's work. Dude, yeah. God's what about work. you, Aaron? Uh, I got my vaccine <laughs> yeah. and it turned me gay which one did you
1: get which one turned you gay
0: dolly parton moderna baby yay yay owen
2: thank you so much for talking to us today and for imparting all of your personal experience and wisdom on us we are so grateful um before we go where can everybody find you
1: everyone can find me on instagram youtube twitter and facebook and tiktok Owen Pearson and that is with an I not an E because when you take out the I's in my name I become my own person so it's Owen Pearson (laughs) that's cute oh my
0: god that's whoa also a little follow-up <laughs> is if you if you want to hear more of owen you should also listen to the episode that he did with cammy because i loved that episode and i loved yeah, the yeah, story about where your name come, came from when you thank said you. when you told that story i was like
1: that is the cutest thing in the entire world thank so if you, you. Want To hear
0: that go listen to mm-hmm. it it's uneducated with cammy scott and
1: yes we love mm-hmm. we love supporting other queer podcasts we love it
0: Absolutely. All right.
1: Thank you, Owen. Thanks, guys. Have a thanks, good rest Owen. of your
2: day. Bye. 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 Hey, guys. Thanks for checking out this week's episode of Queer in the Air. Once again, I'm Matt.
0: And I'm Aaron. We would absolutely love for you to take the time to write a review of our podcast and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts. It really, really helps us out.
2: And please remember to subscribe on whatever platform that you're listening on.
0: If you want to keep up with us or keep us in check, you can find us on our social media.
2: You can find me at Maddie Roar.
0: You can find me everywhere, Aaron Idelson.
2: And you can follow our podcast on Instagram at QueeringTheAirPod.
0: If you'd like to reach us by email, you can find us at QueeringTheAirPod at gmail.com.
2: Thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you guys next time.
0: Thank you so much to all of our guests and listeners. We appreciate you all lots. New episodes of Queer in the Air are released every single Tuesday. Our podcast music is All For Me by Swift, provided from Epidemic Sound.
2: All views expressed in the podcast are our own. As always, if you want to keep us in check or continue the conversation, feel free to DM us on our social media or email us.